here's what I think. I think that on that night, the Magi experienced something that would echo throughout the pages of the early Christian movement. And it's this idea, catch this, that the closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you see everything else. That even though there might be this nice facade that we've built up on the outside, that this sense of lostness and confusion and sadness and no purpose that we can experience on the inside that is all too familiar for many of us, it finds its answer and solution the closer we get to Jesus. Because the closer you get to Jesus, catch this, the light of God begins to shine on everything that is dark. And the feeling you get in this moment when the light shines on those dark areas of your life, it's not shame, it's not judgment, the feeling is not self-hatred, the feelings are not insecurity when the light shines. When the light shines on the darkness, the feeling that you have and that I have is joy. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody. Man, so good to be together. So glad uh, that you're here. So glad that you came to gather with us. Uh, I know that everybody has a lot of things going on uh, uh, today and tomorrow and all of that, but just so glad that you would come gather with us around the gospel, uh, the good news of Jesus, to really reflect on all that he did for us on this night 2,000 years ago. Um, hey, if you're a guest with us today, I just want to say hey and, and welcome you here uh, I know that every year at Christmas Eve, we have guests with us for lots of different reasons. Uh, but if you are here and you are looking for a church, I just want you to know uh, that we have a Connect card located on the seat back in front of you. There are some also located in the back on that table uh, by the double doors. If you want to fill that out, if you want to know more about our church, we'd love to share that information with you. Uh, aren't aren't going to uh, hound you. Uh, aren't going to stop by your house. Uh, yeah, yeah, none of that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, if you fill that out, we do have a special gift uh, for you. Uh, hey, really excited to share uh, with us this morning, you know, um, little, little insider information. Um, Christmas Eve service is a pretty big deal for pastors. You're always like, we're always sitting there going like, okay, what, what, should, what should we say this year, you know? Um, how many times can you preach the story and, and uh, still try to come up with something fresh, something relevant and, and something that'll, that'll stick with people. I'm always just wondering, you know, what are people dealing with this time of year? What's going on in your story and in, in your life? And uh, so I was thinking this week about, you know, how many times we hear people describe Christmas as the most wonderful time of the year. And I think that, you know, most of us identify with that statement, at least on some level. I think most of us understand how magical this time of year can be but for those of us who have experienced any challenge or difficulty in this life, uh, we can look at this famous phrase and feel like it's a bit incomplete, uh, like it's missing something. In fact, I think that if we were to have been the ones to coin this phrase, the most wonderful time of the year, uh, it might have looked more like this. You can go to throw that first one up. We might have written it like, it's the most wonderful time of the year, comma, unless, right? Unless, unless you got teenagers rebelling uh, at home. It's the most wonderful time of the year unless uh, you lost your job. It's the most wonderful time of the year unless, you know, you have no family around at Christmas and it's going to be pretty lonely. Most wonderful time of the year unless there's something going on that you're battling that's health-related or finance-related or marriage-related or whatever the, the case is. And it just seems to me like, like more often than not for a lot of people, you know, this isn't necessarily the most wonderful time of the year. It's the time of year when all of the challenges of life are more heightened, more in your face, less avoidable. And 
For a lot of people, this is the most anxious time of the year, isn't it? For a lot of people, this is the most stressful time of the year, the most worrisome time of the year, the most fearful time of the year. In fact, research tells us that 88% of people feel more stressed out during the holiday season. Does that sound like the most wonderful time of the year? Research tells us this, catch this, that 56% of people admit that they have to bite their lip when they're with their family around tables during the holidays. 56%. Think about that statistic and, and how, how much that statistic only goes up when you consider the number of people who don't bite their tongue and instead say whatever they want to say, right? I think we all understand that we're going to be around some people this week and we've got some things on our mind that we wouldn't mind sharing. And then just to encourage you with this, they tell us that 85% of us are expected to overeat this coming week, just so you know. Look at that, 85% in this room, we're going to overeat. Uh, do not be a statistic, okay? <laughs> All right, don't, don't do that. And there's so much going on right now, so much tradition to get to. Uh, we all got plans, but what I, what I want to do is just take a few minutes here. I'm not going to be long. Um, and I want us to kind of just gather together around the significance of the story, the significance of the birth story of Jesus. Let me just say it like this. Um, the classic Christmas story reminds us that this is the most wonderful time of the year, not because everything in our life is now made perfect, but because hope has come to us in the flesh. This is the most wonderful time of year, not because when Christmas comes, everything is made right in our life, and now there's no more challenge or struggle, but this is the most wonderful time of the year because of what we believe as followers of Jesus that even though there is darkness and there is pain and there is struggle, hope has come to us in the flesh. Matthew chapter one tells us this. It says, and she will have a son and you're to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. That phrase right there, God is with us, can probably sum up the entire Christmas story in those few words. We are gathering together really at this time of year during this season to celebrate and remember that God is not far off and distant and unengaged and uninvolved and unconcerned with our lives but that the God of the universe, the God who spoke the world into existence, the all-powerful, all-knowing God, he came to us in the flesh to be near us, to walk with us, to know us. God is with us. In fact, I would say that the manger proclaims that the very presence of God is present with us. The manger proclaims that hope has come to us in the flesh. And I think that's so big because you know, at the time of Jesus' birth, you know, the world was very tired. The world was weary. They were desperate for hope. There was so much darkness and oppression and political unrest, similar probably to how we feel at times today. And all of this is going on so much so that Matthew's gospel tells us about some very wealthy, very spiritual men who went searching for hope. They went out searching for answers to these problems that the world was facing at the time. And 
tells us in Matthew chapter 2 that after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, that magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and we've come to worship him. It's a big, big part of the story. Interesting that it's only recorded in Matthew's gospel. We don't read about this in Luke's gospel, which both of those gospels have detailed accounts of the birth narrative of Jesus. And, and, and you know, Matthew leaves, or, or Luke leaves this out, but Matthew includes it. And, and yet every nativity scene that we, we see, you know, everyone you have uh, at your house or we see anywhere or any painting all include the wise men. They're significant characters in this story. And what Matthew is telling us is that they see the star in the sky, they travel this great distance, they come to uh, Herod's palace in Jerusalem, and they, they speak to King Herod and they ask him, where is the one, the child, who was born king of the Jews? And this is a pretty big deal because Herod would like to still be king. Uh, he knows he's not the born king, he's the appointed king, and there's a big difference and, and so he's a very insecure, kind of psychomaniac, and, and uh, they don't understand all of this, but they come before him to find all of this out, and uh, he tells them to go on to Bethlehem, and that once they find the child to report back to him so that he too can go worship Jesus. Um, and those were not his uh, actual motives. But I look at this, Story, it's interesting to me how much Christmas tradition has been built around a couple short sentences. Especially when you think about the star. Because the star, it's everywhere at Christmas. It's been a staple of Christmas tradition for 2,000 years, especially when you look to the top of most of our Christmas trees. You know, uh, we're told that statistically the star is the number one topper of Christmas trees every year. And yet this tradition of this star that so many people put on the top of their tree, it actually comes from the original classic Christmas story from this specific passage in Matthew chapter two. The star, the star that appears out of nowhere in a black sky at a time in history when there was no hope, when there was you know, all of this discouragement and fear, this star shines bright in this black sky one night. And I want you just to think with me for a minute about the condition of the world at the time of Jesus' birth. Like, imagine it. Think of all the challenges that people are facing. Think of the oppression from the Roman Empire as they are moving through the world, conquering other kingdoms and expanding their reach. Think of all the fear, all the darkness. And now imagine that in the middle of all of this political backdrop and all of this oppression that one night in the midst of a black sky, a bright star appears out of nowhere. And the star, apparently, it's so significant, it's so bright, it's so peculiar, that it grabs the attention of these men, these magi, who are known to chart the stars and to look for supernatural signs that would be written in the sky. And apparently, the, the, the star makes such an impression on them that they decide to set out on a, a years-long journey to discover the meaning of this star. This isn't just a quick little weekend trip. It's, it's, it's a trip... It's a journey that would have taken at least a year or two, and they, they go on this journey to find an answer to whatever they were missing. And I, I just wonder this, as I read this story, 
Uh, and, and if you're taking notes, you can catch this. Like, like, what has to be happening for these magi to be willing to walk away from everything in order to walk towards a star? Like, what, what's going on? You know, how desperate do you have to be? How unsure do you have to be about the answers that you have accumulated throughout your life? To go looking for answers in a far off and distant land. These men in this story, they are known for their great wealth. They were known to rub shoulders with people in high places, particularly those in political power, such as kings and rulers. And so we know as we read this story that the Magi are men of great means, they have great influence. They are the ones that people look to to explain spiritual things. These are the men who would interpret dreams for kings and for rulers. These are the ones that, that would have been close by the, the king. And, and as they were trying to understand the times and understand spiritual things, like the Magi would have been called in and relied upon to have the answer. And so in this story, we have these men who appear to have all the answers, all of this money. Everything looks good on the outside, and we find in this story that they come really to the end of their knowledge, and they still have questions to which they lack answers. And the thing I've just realized about life, and maybe you have too, is this. It's that just because something looks bright on the outside doesn't mean it doesn't feel dark on the inside. I think this is the time of the year, especially when so many people seem to smile more, seem more happy, and yet what I've learned is that what people show you on the outside isn't necessarily the same as what they're dealing with on the inside. And I think the Magi were this way, to be honest with you. I think they were this way too. I think these were men who were proper and stately, and they kind of had it all together. They were people with, with so much wealth, people whom everyone would have assumed had no problems at all. And yet, even though they appeared this way externally, the story, in my opinion, would suggest that on the inside, something was missing. To the point that they're willing to walk away from their homeland, journey for at least a year or two to find the answer that they were missing. What is going on in this story? What is going on for these magi to be willing to walk away from everything in order to walk towards a star. What is it that they were missing? Let me just say it like this. I think that sometimes it's the people who look the brightest who are actually struggling the most with darkness. I think sometimes this happens. You know, I think we all kind of get accustomed to sort of projecting an, you know, an exterior, an outer shell, an appearance. But I think of people like you know, the late actor and comedian Robin Williams. Man, he could make so many people laugh. He's like a genius, a comic. And yet on the inside, there was so much darkness that he apparently was struggling with to the point that he, would, he took his own life. And I, I think stories like that are always so shocking for us. They're always so disorienting because when we look at people, we can assume that they're good, that they're, that they're fine, that their life is great when the reality is that there's all of this darkness that they don't have an answer for. They don't know how to process and deal with it. And I think we all know what this is like, at least on some level to struggle with some things on the inside that no one else would suspect that we struggle with. To have some darkness that we aren't really sure how to handle. And, you know, if that's you, you're in good company because I think that, I think that humanity has battled this reality for thousands of years. 
In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, there's this very, very famous chapter that we read uh, written by this ancient prophet and poet who, who is foretelling the birth of Jesus. Isaiah 9 uh, is, is, a, is a famous chapter that is often recited and read many times in the Christmas season. And Isaiah is foretelling the birth of Jesus that would happen some 700 to 750 years later. And here's what Isaiah says here. He says this in Isaiah 9, verse 2, that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. I love this, man, because like Isaiah is prophesying, he's predicting that out in the future, someday, one day, at the time of Jesus' birth, that people will be walking in darkness and that in the middle of that darkness, a light will shine. That at the time of Jesus' birth, when the Messiah comes out in the future, it's not gonna be great. People are gonna be struggling. People are gonna be dealing with difficult things. But in the midst of that challenge, in the middle of that suffering, in the middle of that oppression, in the midst of that darkness, a light will shine. And so think of the ancient Israelites who would have been given this prophecy, who, who would have known this, living with this belief for hundreds of years that one day a light would come to them, that God would send someone to lead them or to deliver them out of darkness. Now we get the privilege of history to know and understand that this light that would appear was Jesus. But for them, they wouldn't have known that. They wouldn't have known that they were looking necessarily for Jesus. And so in a very literal sense, Matthew 2 tells us that one day, right, a bright light appears in, a sky, in the sky, a bright star. You know what it's doing? You know what the star is doing? It is symbolically communicating that the days of living in darkness have come to an end. And on this night, these magi who seem to have it all are looking to the sky for answers. And, I, and I, I think a lot of us probably can relate to the Magi, you know, like there's a lot of us who, who have, you know, maybe more than we need. There's a lot of us here who, who uh, you know, probably have a nice house, live in the suburbs somewhere, and, and uh, not a lot of like real, you know, tough challenges. Maybe we even compare our issues to others and think, man, we've got it good. And what can happen sometimes is we come into church and there can be all of this assumption by everybody else that we've got it all figured out and everything's good and everything's fine. And I think we can relate to the Magi in this sense because the Magi seem to have it all figured out they're look, and yet they're still looking to the sky for answers. They're like, oh, we don't, we don't know. There's things we just don't know. And when they see the star, to them it signals that some, something or someone has arrived that can make things change, that can make life better that can make life more hopeful. And so the story continues on in Matthew chapter two, verse nine, and it says, after they heard the king, again, this is Herod, it says they went on their way and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now we're getting to the good stuff, okay? The child is here. The star has finally stopped, and the Bible tells us here that the, that the Magi, they, they enter into the house, 
As you read more of the story, it says they enter into the house. So we don't know really how old Jesus is. A lot of times, we, you know, we see the wise men at the manger, but, but he's probably at least one to two years old. Uh, so they enter into this house. They're not in a barn. And, and it says that upon seeing the child, that their soul literally erupts with joy. It, it, like something shifts, something changes. Like, like think about these magi whose default setting or predisposition was towards sadness and darkness and longing, along with pretty much everybody else alive at that time. And when they step in front of Jesus, they are filled with great joy. And here's what I think. I think that on that night, the Magi experienced something that would echo throughout the pages of the early Christian movement. And it's this idea, catch this, that the closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you see everything else. The closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you see everything else. That, that even though there might be this nice facade that we've built up on the outside, that this sense of lostness and confusion and sadness and no purpose that we can experience on the inside that is all too familiar for many of us, it finds its answer and solution the closer we get to Jesus. Because the closer you get to Jesus, catch this, the light of God begins to shine on everything that is dark. And the feeling you get in this moment when the light shines on those dark areas of your life, it's not shame, it's not judgment, the feeling is not self-hatred, the feelings are not insecurity when the light shines. When the light shines on the darkness, the feeling that you have and that I have is joy. It's joy. It's hope. The light has come. It's the sense of like, you know, I, I think, I think, I think I'm going to be okay. I think I'm actually loved. I think, I think that maybe God isn't angry at me. I think he might actually like me. I think I'm going to be all right. It's joy. It's not shame. It's not guilt. It's not self-hatred or insecurity when the light shines on your life, the light of God. It's joy, it's wholeness, it's completeness. It's having the answer to the, to the very longing of your soul once and for all. And as I look at this, at this story, I think this, if you're taking notes, I think that every confusion the Magi ever felt and every unanswered question they ever had began to fade the closer they got to the light of Jesus. Everything that they were looking for, everything that they, they, they were still confused by and still struggled with, I think that as they got closer to Jesus, everything began to fade. Everything got clearer and came into focus as they, as they got close to Jesus, this mysterious being right here who is God himself wrapped in flesh and wrapped in light coming to earth to give us clarity about who God is and who we are as well. In fact, this is exactly who Jesus turns out to be, right? And this is exactly who Jesus claims to be. John chapter eight, Jesus makes some pretty bold claims. And think about these claims in light of the fact that people are walking in darkness. In light of the fact of how desperate people were for some light, Jesus shows up in John eight, 12, and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Other translations say we'll have the light that leads to life. In other words, what's going on here is it's communicating that the closer you get to Jesus, the clearer you will see everything else. And when I think about this story, right, I think about the Jesus and think about him as a young child, the Christ child, I think about the Magi entering into this house. It makes me think of some famous lyrics that, I mean, all of us are probably going to be familiar with. I think about this experience of them bringing all of their struggle, bringing all of their pain, all of their lostness and unanswered questions and coming there into the house before the Christ child and their soul just erupting with joy. And this reminds me of some very, very, very famous lyrics that say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Was blind, but now I see. And I think these lyrics could have easily have been written by the Magi. I know that they were written by John Newton, but they could have very easily been written by the Magi. I think about this moment, right, as, as their soul through these lyrics are basically saying, I know that I look like I have it all together, but I'm actually lost, and I really don't have it all together. But there was a time in my life where I was just tired of, of not knowing and tired of longing for more, and I went on this journey to try to find God only to realize that he had been looking for me the whole time. And that instead of me finding God, God found me. And at that time in my life when I was spiritually blind, I walked into that room and I came close to Jesus and my eyes were opened in a way that made sense of everything. And I felt whole, I felt complete. I felt like, man, that emptiness that I once knew was no longer there. It's as if the Magi could literally say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And this is the point of the gospel. This becomes the point of the gospel, to go from life, to go from death, that which is broken and not working, that which is in decay, to go from death to life. And so here, as I, as I prepare to close, um, you know, you have these magi who travel this great distance. They leave everything behind. They have this great epiphany, this moment where they see God wrapped in light, wrapped in flesh, and their entire outlook on life changes forever. Everything completely flips. And then they seemingly turn around and drive home. It's it's bizarre. Think about the moment, the life change that takes place here, and then they just kind of like get in, the, get in the minivan and they go home. It says in Matthew 2.12, it says, it says they returned to their country by another route. In scene, we don't even hear about these guys ever again. The detail in this verse that I want to point out is, is that they returned by another route. The New Living Translation says they returned home a different way, a different way. And I've always assumed that the sole reason for this is just because King Herod wanted the child killed and they're warned by an angel to go a different way. And so they, they, they go this other way so that they wouldn't tip him off as to where the child was. But, you know, I'm, I'm in my office this week prepping for this message. And like I said earlier, you know, I'm always just kind of like aware of the significance of this service, and I know that you know, you're taking time out of your celebrations to be here, and I, I, I feel obligated to, to give you something of worth and something of value, and I'm, I'm praying, and I'm looking at the text. I got it pulled up on my laptop, 
and I'm soaking up the story and I'm just trying to imagine the moment this past week and, and it just, it just kind of hit me that maybe this detail of returning home a different way has more than one meaning. Maybe it has more than one meaning. Maybe it means more than just the fact that they took a different route home. And I started to wonder, like, like what if it also means that they returned a different way personally? What if it means that they returned home a different way internally? What if it means that, that, that they returned home changed, like not the same as before? That the way that they once experienced and saw life had ended, that they, that they now would never be the same again after coming face to face with God in the flesh. And, I, and I, I, just, I just believe as I read this story, I mean, it's so powerful. Their souls literally erupt with joy that, that I, I believe that when the Magi left that home that night, they were not the same people. They couldn't have been, which is something I, I don't think we always stop to understand or think about when it comes to hope and the Christmas story. The fact that these wise men were changed. They didn't return home the same. See, everybody comes to Christmas with, with something. Everybody comes to Christmas with something that's not right, something that's just a little off, something that could use a touch from God. Everybody comes to Christmas with a little bit of darkness. We're all looking for hope. But here's what the wise men teach us. Here's what their story shows us, that finding hope doesn't mean that you'll never have to return to the same difficult challenges or situations. It doesn't mean that you'll never have to return home. Hope means that when you do return to these things, you are not the same you. You return to them a different way. All of us got stuff. All of us got stuff that is still waiting for us right out of these doors when we walk out of here today. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you and to challenge you that hope can come to you and you can return to those struggles a different way, a different you. There used to be one path you took to engage with those problems, to engage with those challenges, but with hope, with the light of God on your life, you can return to those things a different way, a different you. And what I've learned about God over the years is that sometimes God repairs the situations that we find ourselves in and sometimes he doesn't. But he always renews our perception, our way of seeing things. So often we just want God to change everything and make it the way we want it to be. And sometimes God does that in his goodness and in his kindness. But what God always does in these moments is he changes us. Right? The way that we see and experience him, the way that we see and experience life and everything else. And when we maintain this connection to Jesus, you know what happens? Life becomes clear and it begins to make sense. The closer you get to Jesus, the clearer everything else becomes. Now, I want you just to imagine for a moment that you have come to the place where the star has stopped. And every answer that you need is right inside those doors. What if, what if entering in to that home where the Christ child is, what if the very thing you're looking for is right there? What if? 
what if you too could experience this eruption of joy in your soul? You see, when we have an experience like this with Jesus and then have to return to whatever life has waiting for us outside of these doors, I think that we are to return with this conviction that the way things are out there are not the way things will be forever. And like the ancient Israelites, we too wait in the middle of our own darkness with great expectation for the light to shine. For heaven to burst forth in the middle of whatever hell we have to go back to. Whatever pain, whatever challenge, whatever struggle. Because listen to me, God who is light has invaded the darkest places of our lives and our world. And I love what the Apostle John says as he explains the Christmas story in one line, in one sentence. Matthew gets, a, you know, a, a whole bunch of lines. He gets chapters. Luke takes an exhaustive amount of time to explain Christmas. John, he summarizes all of Christmas and the birth of Jesus like this. In John 1.5, he says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Christmas is when we remember that even though it may be dark, light has come. Light has come to shine in the darkness. And my prayer for you is that Christmas this year wouldn't just be filled with traditions and nostalgia. Hear me, lean in, I'm done. But my prayer for you is that, is that Christmas would be a time where the darkest parts of your story would brighten up just a bit. That there would be this clarity about life that would come to you as light shines in the darkness and that joy would just erupt in your spirit because you understand that you too are unconditionally loved by God. That's good news right there. Step into the house. Come closer to the Christ child. Lean in a little more than you have before and watch and see this joy come to you. Watch it erupt inside of you. May your Christmas be filled with unspeakable joy. Would you just bow your heads for a moment? You know, maybe you're at a place in your life right now that feels a bit dark, and I, I just wanna pray for you. Every head bowed in this room, you wanna bow your heads for a moment and just contemplate the significance of this story, this Christmas of light shining in the darkness and darkness being unable to be any sort of match against the light. And if you're just feeling like, man, there's, Pastor Jordan, there's some darkness going on and you need some light to shine. Could I just, every head bowed, no one's watching you. You wanna just slip your hand up so I can, I can encourage you in prayer? There's some darkness and it's time, it's time for the light to shine. Come on, let that light shine. Oh God, would you come and light up the darkness right now? that we all feel, that's all too familiar, that we know has to go, 
Lord, I pray over every person tonight or this morning under the sound of my voice. I pray over every person here who, who is dealing with some things, some struggles, some darkness, some things that just seem to linger and not go. Lord, I pray right now that you would just shine your light. God, that you wouldn't bring a spirit of, of, of uh, shame. I thank you that you don't bring a, a spirit of embarrassment in times like these. But as you shine your light and your kindness towards us, I thank you, oh God, that joy fills our hearts. And I pray for every person here today, God, for abundant joy, for abundant life, for us to finally start experiencing life the way you intended to the fullest. Every bit of a discouragement and fear and panic and worry, I pray right now that the light of God would light up the darkness. In Jesus' name, amen.